Welcome back to the Bo Sox Crazy Podcast, your regular Red Sox podcast for crazy Red Sox fans. I'm your host, Toddy Levitt, coming to you live from my not-coffee table. That's right, it's a folding table, but it's a coffee table. It's very confusing. Regardless, shout-out to my grandmother, Grandy, for, for giving it to me in my apartment. But more importantly, let's talk some Red Sox. Alright, before we get into uh, the nitty-gritty of this unbelievably exciting and happening uh, and dramatic off-season... Insert eye roll here. Um, a little story. So I, I um, uh, on a personal note, have been uh, dating someone. And uh, since I moved to the city and since this podcast started, uh, and uh, you know, as, as she and I uh, have, have gotten to know each other, she's gotten to know a certain amount about my amazing, wonderful, crazy uh, sports fandom uh, at this time of year through the Patriots, uh, RIP, um, and the Celtics, and uh, Maryland Terrapins basketball team, um, but she, you know, she says things like, oh, well, now I get it, you know, she's seen me scream at the TV, and she's seen me uh, write anger articles about how the Terps don't defend the pick and roll, and about how the Celtics need it, you know, you know, honestly, the Celtics are perfect, like, leave them alone, but how the Patriots, you, you know, honestly, whatever with them, like, I'm not over that, but more importantly, she thinks that, you know, she, uh, she kind of gets it now, and I said to her, baby, it, it's not even spring training yet, you, you don't even know the half of it, and she's like, no, I mean, I can extrapolate from, I was like, no, 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 really, like, I, I, I'm a crazy person, like, I still cry when I watch the video of Dave Roberts stealing second kind of crazy person, she's like, who's Dave Roberts, I was like, we'll get there. And, you know, in general, it, it, it's, it's complicated the way I, I relate to her because um, as a Red Sox fan, you know, I don't care how many uh, championships uh, we've won since 2004, and I don't care how much of the curse I was alive for. It was uh, <clears throat> only 11 years, but um, that pre-2004 Red Sox fan was ingrained in my body and will never leave, uh, and, and she... My girlfriend, Rebecca, she gets very frustrated because due to the fact that uh, we were five outs away from the World Series, beating the Yankees with Pedro Martinez and an amazing, amazing team in 2003, and then Grady Little left him in, that stupid, stupid piece of shies, um, and and then Aaron Boone, uh, you know, ripped my heart out, and I cried for the first time about sports, and ever since then, I said, okay, now I understand, now I know, this is what being a Red Sox fan is like, and my, for the rest of my life, really, through the, the entirety of my, my entire life, uh, I, I've lived knowing that even five outs away, you're on the precipice of greatness, um, you know, it, it can be ripped out from under, underneath you, and, and, and think about who, who that happened to, Timmy Wakefield, the menchest of all menches to ever mensch in a Red Sox uniform, honestly, like, write him down, put it down right here, he is the greatest mensch in Red Sox history, I'm not a Red Sox historian, I've only been alive since 93, I've only been aggressively following the Red Sox since about three months after that, but it would just utterly shock me to find out that there was a better mensch in Red Sox history than Tim Wakefield, and I can think of no one who deserved it less to have that home run hit off of him than Tim Wakefield. And and in that moment, I learned how to approach life. You have to be cynical. You don't expect good things to happen. The bad things will happen to you. The good will be ripped out from underneath you like a horrible band-aid that covers your whole body and, most importantly, the inside of your heart. And so when my lovely girlfriend, Rebecca, she says to me things like, you know, when we live together, I say, shh, 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 
she, she's like, what, what? I said, you can't jinx it. We don't, we don't jinx things in this relationship. She's like, what's your problem? You're a crazy person. And I say, no, really, like, you, you just can't jinx things. I'm a Red Sox fan. If you jinx things, Tim Wakefield, the mensch of all menches, will get his heart and my heart, uh, it, it, by extension, ripped out from underneath us by a piece of shies, a tiny little piece of shies, Aaron Boone, who's never been a good player, never will be, never will be a good manager, count me on that, and, and, and he's the guy to, to rip my heart, so, so, you know, I just, I, I felt like for this episode of, of the Bosox Crazy Podcast, little, you know, peep under the hood, uh, you know, to just set up the stage that I, I feel like I haven't really set up my Bosox Crazy bona fides just yet, uh, and, and so, uh, for the first five minutes today, I just wanted to, you know, give that, give that little story there, um, and, uh, you know, remind everybody, and, and make sure that you, we're all on the same page, that I'm a crazy person, I, I'm 100% open about it, I'm aware of it, I'm a crazy person, I'm a crazy Red Sox fan, um, and, and with that, you know, I, I want to talk about the Red Sox. Now, speaking of crazy, paranoid, um, everything's never going to go our way, Red Sox fan, what is this BS that I'm seeing now in MLB trade rumors today and yesterday, today being Wednesday, Wednesday was it the 7th, Wednesday the 7th, that J.D. Martinez is pissed off at the Red Sox and is thinking about going elsewhere because he's tired of, <coughs> excuse me, of us waiting him out and trying to, you know, you know, we we have an offer on the table, and he's pissed off that that we won't bid against ourselves. Um, and and now Bob Nightingale, of the USA Today, is is saying that well, well, maybe maybe the Red Sox will get impatient. You know, uh, he's throwing out that we we considered uh, a Jackie Bradley Jr. for Edwin Encarnacion trade. Dear Lord, stop it! Don't say this to me. We have a perfectly good, per- perfectly good option on the table in JD Martinez. We are competing against nobody. We have a five-year, about $125 million deal on the table. Rumor has it with an opt-out after 2019. So really perfect. Two years. Hopefully, he does amazing in those two years, right, for the Red Sox. And opts out because he's, you know, 30, who knows what. And then he goes somewhere else and has a wonderful, successful life, but not in such a way that we feel bad that he left the Red Sox, right? That's, That's a good scenario. Or... He signs with us for five years at 125, and instead of opting out after 2019, he plays into the twilight and, and is our DH after uh, Big Poppy, you know. And, and we continue to have a long-standing tradition now uh, of good DHs in Red Sox uniforms. And, and regardless, whichever of those two uh, we we choose or, or happen and play out, that's that's good for us. What are we talking about? Trading for Edwin Encarnacion, a, a lesser version of J.D. Martinez, if you're asking me, right? J.D. Martinez, the guy who in the past two years has led the MLB in OPS. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying led the MLB in OPS? Yes. But didn't Giancarlo? Yes, Giancarlo did what he did. And still, J.D. Martinez led the MLB in OPS last year. So let's not... There, there, there's. We're not competing with anybody. What, what are we trying this Narishkite for? We have an amazing center fielder in Jackie Bradley Jr., and we're going to get an amazing DH. Knock on wood. I know the folding table is not actually what it's plastic, but I have no wood around me because, you know, I, I, I can't afford that kind of apartment right now. But that's okay. You know, soon after the the Bosax Crazy podcast takes off. 
um, and you know, and is bought by who knows who, you know, ESPN, Fox, uh, you know. We we can we can discuss this later. If you, if you're trying to if you're trying to um, advertise over here, uh, you really think that the Levitt family and, and my surrounding people are, are your target audience, or or if it turns out I have a listenership that I don't even know about, shouts to you. But you know, for now, I'm gonna knock on this plastic coffee table folding table, um, you know, that Grandy so uh, nicely gave me, and and I'm gonna say that you know, knock on wood, we've got J D Martinez in the bag. Let's not confuse ourselves and say that like you know it's it, it, there's nobody competing with us there's nobody competing with us let's not do something rash and and all of a sudden up up the offer we gave to him you know to all of a sudden we're, we're talking seven seven years 100 210 million come on let's not do that and let's not all of a sudden make a rash decision and sign jose batista uh two years after his prime let's not do something rash and let's not trade an amazing center fielder jackie bradley jr for an aging first base dh who has for three years in a row struggled out of the gate to start the season and you just wonder at what point is that struggle going to continue with him out of april into may into june into the deep deep parts of the summer and that's just not what's going on that's not what we should be talking about okay i've spent enough time on this <clears throat> let's move on to some other stuff mookie betts wins his arbitration case set to make ten and a half million it's going to be the baseline for his future contracts and his remaining arbitration years. And, you know, interesting, obviously, most uh, money ever won in a first-year arbitration case, uh, second second largest contract in any arbitration case, just behind Chris Bryan, who made 300000 more just a couple weeks ago. And, and, and again, um, I, I said this last week, it's just, it's just an awkward situation as a fan because, you know, as a person... I, I, I would side with Mookie Betts. I think, you know, we should be paying people according to their value, right? I, I think um, I, I love the Red Sox ownership group. Uh, I think the Red Sox ownership group is amazing. They've put us in this position. They alone, really, uh, have put us in the position where we are now to have won three World Series, to have won division titles, to really have set the bar for expectations, uh, and raised the bar, I should say, for expectations in Boston for the Red Sox. But they, they just don't need that extra $3 million. Like, and and you know people talk about oh we need to get we need to get under um, you know the salary cap we we we're going to be uh, going over the luxury tax and, and I I understand that um, and, and to those people who say that I'll point you to Jeff Passan over at Yahoo you know does incredible uh, work about labor in the MLB uh, and really just uh, I think two three weeks ago outlined just exactly how little it matters. Um, for a major organization, especially one like the Red Sox, uh, to go over the luxury tax, what it means to us in terms of resources lost, in terms of uh, picks, it, it's really minuscule. And, and I just feel like Mookie Betts deserves a $20 million, $25 million uh, contract each year, right now. Simply based off, forget, forget, you know, at the end of this contract, right now, if, if he were to hit the open market, he'd be making $25 million a year, easy. No questions in my mind, and we'd probably be paying it. So let's let's cut the bullshit and and you know give him this ten ten and a half million, which is you know more than a good deal for the Red Sox. Now, obviously, on on the other hand, as a fan, you know I'm a Red Sox fan. This is a Bo Sox crazy podcast. This is not a Mookie Betts crazy podcast, though. I'm sure that would be a lovely uh, way to listen, spend a half hour in the afternoon. But I just I, I wonder, you know, it, it's hard because you know as a team, you know it. 
we've been trained to uh, to say that you know getting uh, good players on bad contracts or bad pl- contracts for the players is is good for the team, and we've been trained you know as fans to think that that's a good thing, and, and it's just weird. And, and I haven't solved those feelings. Maybe maybe I'll do that. Um, uh, you know, as as this podcast grows, but you know, and if anybody wants to uh, to have a conversation about that, have me on Twitter at Loud Spinions, Loud underscore Spinions. You know, it's a very complex issue, but I, you know, on the whole, I think this is good. I think this is good for the Red Sox. You know, the three million dollars we can afford it, and and it's just nice. You know, hopefully, Mookie. You know, he knows it's a business. I know, but it, he should feel valued. We want him to feel valued because in 2020, when he's done with his arbitration, we want him signing a five-year deal with Red Sox. With the Red Sox, full stop. I want it to happen before the season's over. You know, he signs that extension. He he's a Red Sox for life. We want that. We want that. And part of that process is making him feel wanted. Uh, and so, it, you know, for that, I think it's a good thing that. Uh, Mookie Betts won this arbitration. Obviously, you know, it's $3 million against the cap, but I think that it's a good thing in the hole. All right, and one last bit of fun uh, before we get to the bulk of this episode. I know you're saying 13 minutes in, we're almost getting to the bulk of this episode. I know we might we might be pushing 45. We might be pushing 45 as we get closer to the season. I've got a couple big, big features that we're going to be working on every single week between now uh, and the beginning of the regular season, March 29th. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But Fernando Abad, fan of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Fernando Abad, at least subject of the podcast, um, you know, made headlines on MLB.com this week. He has not signed with the team. However, he's the new Aardvark, A-A-R-D-V-A-R-K of the MLB. First off, if you didn't get that reference, do me a favor and check yourself. Um, shout out Arthur. Shout out PBS. Look up A-A-R-D-V-A-R-K Arthur, and you'll thank me later. Um, Fernando Obad is the new Aardvark of the MLB. In other words, Aardvark is the first word in the dictionary Um and former Red Sox great David Ardzma, uh, whose name is spelled A-A-R-D-Zma, he retired and is joining the Blue Jays' front office, and thus Fernando Abad is the first among all MLB active players, um, you know, due to the fact that he is A-B-A. There are a couple people who rival him, but he, you know, when you list all active MLB players, Fernando Abad is number one, and so he is the new artwork of MLB. I love that that's an article at MLB.com that's not even cut for. That's literally MLB.com. So shout out to a friend of the pod, Fernando Abad, and shout out to David Ardzma. I just went straight to his Wikipedia for this. David Ardzma, we got him for the 2008 season for the from the White Sox, for, and we traded pitching prospects Willie Moda and Miguel Sokolovich. Jew, maybe? I don't know. Jew? Very interesting. I, I'm Jewish. That's why I'm curious. I don't, want, I don't want people thinking that this is a this is a podcast that does not like the Jews. We love the Jews. We love Red Sox of all. You know, faith, color, creed, sexual orientation. I don't know how we got there, but point of the story is if you like the Red Sox or don't, you're welcome here, um, no matter who you are. Uh, Miguel Sokolovich, if you're listening, shkoyach, really. Um, anyway, we traded Willie Moda and Miguel Sokolovich for David Ardsma in 2008. He pitched in 47 games for the Red Sox that year, going 4-2 and two with 555 ERA, uh, and pitched two games in the minor posting a zero ERA for the Paw Sox. Very interesting. David Ardsma, not a notable Red Sox, and thus former Red Sox. Great. Uh, former Aardvark of the MLB. Uh, and shout out 
to Fernando Abad, new aardvark of the MLB. Now, speaking of Fernando Abad, our, our lefty reliever research n- needs a further update. It won't be this week. Um, hopefully, either next week or the week after, depending on my travel schedule. Uh, that's a joke. I wish I could travel. But my work schedule and my research schedule. Um, because I'm hearing calls for the Red Sox to sign Tony Watson. Uh, and, and I just... I, I don't think we need to. If we want to, he's a good reliever, and I'd be happy to have him. I wonder if we actually need to. So I'm going to check the correlation between lefty relievers and winning. I'm going to look at you know the lefty relievers who were on playoff teams uh, and kind of see what their usage was and and whether or not that actually correlated with winning uh, and, and getting lefties out, which is why you know we always say you know we need a lefty. Oh well, we got to you know be able to have him uh, against a big time lefty uh, in the uh, other team's lineup you know late in the game, and I'm. Forgive me for not being a traditionalist, but I'm just not sold that that's that's the case. So future research to come, I will get back to you on that. Now, here are the two big things that we're going to be doing between now and uh, the end of spring training and the beginning of the regular season. We are going to do one. I want to tier the roster. What I mean by that is I want to go through our you know 25 or 40 men roster. I haven't decided just yet, um, and kind of group the players. By level, uh, you know, right now I have it as top level, above average, average, below average, and I'm curious. What I mean by I'm curious is like there is a range, and and I think that, and when I go through, it, I'll say, you know, I think this guy could reach uh, X level, you know, top, above average, average, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, it's just interesting. So I haven't really done any work yet besides the top tier, which we're going to do today, um, you know, and we'll see if I feel like all these. Uh, levels are actually uh, going to get filled. I, I have a feeling they will. Uh, I I promise you that the I'm curious section will be a fun conversation. That one I know. I already have kind of an idea of who's going to go in there. Um, it won't be easy, but I'm going to try to include coaches. It's it's especially as an outsider, uh, someone who's trying to get into you know the baseball media zone. Uh, it's not easy for me to evaluate coaches um, because a lot of that you know you you get from talking to executives, uh, people who have coached with and against them, and, and players who have you know played for them. But from an outsider's perspective, I mean, you know, aside from the crazy feral bashing uh, orgy that that just went through Boston the past couple of years, you know, I, I don't think it's easy uh, to evaluate coaches. But I'm going to try to try to involve that among major coaches and personnel uh, within the Red Sox organization. So we're going to do that. But today, uh, we're going to do the top tier, and the top tier is only players. Uh, it should come as no surprise. We got Mookie Betts, Chris Sale, and Craig Kimbrell. Those are our three. Uh, they are our leaders in war last year. They are our leaders in, you know, I think the three big facets of the game, and I like that. It, it, it's It's got some nice harmony there. We got one batter, fielder. We've got a starter. We got a reliever. And these are not arguably, these are our best players. End of story, right? Mookie, 6.44 war last year in a, in a down year. Really in my estimation, the worst case scenario for, for Mookie, like really unless, you know, he has an injury, I think we can kind of just set him aside and cash, you know, just cash in on that kind of production when we're looking at 20 to 25 homers, around 20 steals, you know, 80 plus ribbies, 100 runs, that kind of season is baseline for Mookie, I really think so, you know, he's he's probably going to land somewhere, you know, in between last year and the year before 2016, I, 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 even in the moment, I said to myself that might have been his best career year, and that's okay, right? You know, uh, growth is not linear in baseball. I think we all know that. Um, and, you know, it's, 
if if he never reaches that, that's not a slight to him because he was unreal. He was otherworldly in 2016, and he is still well, well above average, well uh, solidified among the top ten outfielders in the game. Often, you know, depending on how he's playing, top five, even top three. Sorry, I get that water in there, but you know, I think. You know, we can expect a little more than the year before than the last year, you know. But if but if we get another 2017 and 2018, it'll be slightly disappointing because of what he showed us in 2016. But it's still really, really freaking good, you know. Last, you know, but I I still expect him to grow because you know a year separated from you know Poppy leaving the Red Sox, having that uh, protection, you know, with. Um, Hanley getting worse. I, I don't think that the lineup is necessary. You know, was necessarily you know supporting him last year. Pedroia out for so much, and and I just don't think that, that you know that's something you can overstate. You know, um, the one um, X factor for Mookie uh, in 2016. You know, the the one thing that really set him apart was just crush the Orioles. Eight homers and something like 20 RBIs uh, against those guys, um, and you know. Their pitching is horrible. I see no reason why Mookie couldn't do that again. You know, I'm not expecting it to, but I just wonder if he'll crush the Orioles again. Like, that'd be swell. My family lives near Baltimore, uh, and and they go to a lot of Red Sox-Orioles games out in Camden, and I am sure they would be thrilled, absolutely thrilled, um, if, you know, Mookie just came in and and laid down the wood, uh, you know, in Camden Yards. And, And... it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Chris Sale, second guy in this top tier, six war last year, third in the league in, in win probability added. Uh, in other words, like he just crushed it last year. Obviously, among all pitchers, number one in FIP, uh, which is you know for for listeners who are unfamiliar, FIP is a way uh, instead of ERA to uh, evaluate a pitcher. Uh, where we take out th- what the effect of the fielders had on on you know his abilities. You know we just take into consideration uh, his uh, you know pitcher only contribution. And obviously Chris Sale is number one. That no surprise that the dude was an absolute beast. Now uh, you know we have somebody else actually very interesting uh, who another starting pitcher who made the top 10 and fit someone who I, I think you wouldn't expect so you know surprised me it'll definitely surprise you uh, we'll come back to that later um, very interesting potentially you know a guy who can give us more than we uh, we've seen from him so far but uh, you know coming back to Chris Sale I love to see again just like uh, I said last week he's invested in the organization you know he, you know spending time with Jay Grom. Uh, Jay, Jason, I really don't know. I think it's Jay, not sure. I'm going to go with Jay for now. Did I go with Jason last week? I'm not sure. Not important. Point of the story is he's invested in the organization. He's teaching the guys. He's working with the guys. He's, you know, this is his first full off season with the team. He's had a season under his belt. And, you know, last year he started the year at a blistering, blistering pace. He was unreal. I mean, and he finished the year unreal. He was just a spectacular pitcher last year. But he did kind of trail off towards the end of the year. And and I wonder now that he's settled in within the organization, within the city, really. Um, and, and he's familiar with our breed of crazy fan, our breed of, you know, Boston is a special town uh, if, you know, for both good and bad. Uh, and, and Chris needed to learn about that. And I think now that, you know, he's had that, um, especially learning about, you know, I mean, 
the, the Red Sox media loved him. They worshipped him because he was the anti-David Price, and, and that's a whole separate conversation. But, you know, I think that having a year under his belt in Boston, hopefully I think he'll be able to pace himself uh, and, you know, potentially be able to keep up that kind of, uh, you know, I mean, he was elite the whole year, but, like, number one unquestioned pitcher in the league uh, for the whole year. You know, I think last year, uh, it, you know, Kluber kind of overtook him as the best pitcher in the league, taking that uh, Cy Young from him last year at the end of the year. And, and I think that now that, you know, Chris Sale's had that time uh, in Boston, you know, he he could, you know, potentially keep that up for the rest of the year. And one last thing, I think the X Factor, I'm trying to get an X Factor for each of these guys, um, is... Chris Sale versus the AL East. You know, we struggled against the AL East last year. We were nine and ten against Baltimore, eight and eleven against the Yanks, only eleven and eight against the Rays. And we actually have been crushing the the Blue Jays, thirteen and six last year. More on that later. But in general, we among AL teams, we were just fifth against our division, uh, and we need to do better. Um, Already, the Yankees last year had a better record against the AL East than we did, and and now they're projected, you know, by most systems to to win the division ahead of us, uh, Momsers. But I and I think a key is you know that record within the division, uh, and Chris Sale I think will play a huge part in that. I looked through every single player in the AL East. Uh, they all suck against Chris Sale, which makes sense because most people do. Aside from Aaron Hicks, Manny Machado, Trey Mancini, and Kevin Kiermaier, literally four batters on the four uh, the four other teams in the AL East, he dominates every single player in the AL East. And, and I just wonder if we can bank, you know, three quarters of his AL East starts as wins, that that'll be a huge step uh, to improving our uh, record in the division. Craig Kimbrell, our closer. 3.64 war last year. That's, I think, number three among closers. Number two in win probability added ahead of Chris Sale uh, because of how many high leverage uh, situations he pitched in last year. Dude's a beast, especially last year, I think, was his best uh, year in the Red Sox uniform. Looked filthy, menacing, always needs to shave, never will, won't apologize for it. I don't know how I feel about it because he... Uh, but it's all Craig Kimbrell. That's the package right there. Uh, he's going into a contract year. And he needs, you know, going into his 30s, um, he's going to need to show that he's not going to be one of these, you know, Eric Gagne types who falls off. He, you know, if, if he can, you know, have a, a consistent season just like he's had last year and the year before, you know, he can get, you know, one of those three, four-year extensions into his 30s, or I guess new contracts into his 30s, whether it's with us or somebody else, you know, hopefully with us. Um, a wild stat, I was just going through, you know, these guys' stats to, to find out information about them. Um, his, you know, career stats are buoyed by his, you know, world-beating 2015 season where he was just you know, from another planet good. Um, but very interesting stuff last year. So six, 16 times last year he was removed from the game to go along with his four-blown saves. It, it always feels like it with Kimbrell, if he's not in a, in a safe situation, you know, he's not going to do well. Uh, and, and we know that this dude is prom, uh, you know, prone to, you know, these blow-ups. When it rains, it pours with Kimbrell. You know, his clutch factor... Which I can't really explain to you, but Fangraphs measures it. You know, it, it, it tells you based on the leverage of the situation, how many guys are on, how late it is in the game, um, and you know how how many guys you know he puts on the base. Uh, his clutch factor last year was minus point two. 
and minus 0.28 the year before. For comparison, Kenley Jansen, who, you know, at least according to fantasy, which is the main way that I evaluate closers, um, sue me. And, you know, just the eye test, we assumed Jensen, I mean, everyone knew Jensen was better than Kimbrell, but, like, his clutch factor was 0.86 last year. That's a full point ahead of uh, Kimbrell. Very interesting. I just wonder if Kimbrell, you know, would have, um, you know, been able, I don't think he'll be able to change it at this point in his career, but, you know, he, he could have been one of those guys that really could have, you know, use one of those piggyback situations in the minors to just get used to pitching in not clean situations. You know, I'm, I'm reading Brian Kenny's book uh, about stats in baseball and, and how silly it is, like really, really silly that we, I mean, you know, kill the save, kill the win, uh, kill ERA, yes, all that, I, I'm about it, I like numbers, those are stupid, but more importantly, um, you know, Craig Kimbrell does not always make it in for our most important situations, it, you know, when you know you think about yeah, you know, I'm sorry to beat up on Fernando Abad, but when you have a guy like Kimbrel in your bullpen and you're up two runs and two guys are on in two outs against Robinson Cano, there's no reason to bring in Fernando Abad. He's he's arguably your worst pitcher in the bullpen. Instead, just because he's a lefty, right? That's why he comes in. Instead, we should be bringing in Craig Kimbrel uh, and getting that out. And instead of doing that, we've always left him for the ninth inning, and now and now he's incapable. Uh, really incapable he, he of coming in unless it's a clean clean situation. You know, when we come ask him to come in for a four out save, it's stressful. When we ask him to come in when we're up four, it's stressful. And how is that possible? It's more stressful when we're up four than when we're up three. I don't know, but Kimbrel seems to make it happen. Um, and so what I wonder is this year when Kimbrel does not come in with clean innings. And I think Cora is younger. Cora is newer. And, you know, I'm hopeful that he, as a manager, will be more liberal in the way he uses Kimbrel. And I'm hopeful. Uh, and I'm wishing that Kimbrel will be able to do better in not clean innings, whether he's coming in for a four-out save because two guys are on, or he's coming in uh, just to clean up a game to get some innings when we're up four. Uh, you know, I don't want to have to worry about that. You know, I don't want to see Wild. Okay, so that's, that's our top tier of... Our roster, Craig Kimbrell, our closer, Chris Sale, our ace, and Mookie Betts, our number one or number two hitter, depending on uh, where he bats in the order. I don't know. But point of story, definitely our best hitter, our best uh, um, position player, maybe even our best player. I don't know. Chris Sale, Mookie, yeah, you can hash it out. Good conversation for another time. Now, the other thing, in addition to tiering the players that I want to do between now and the beginning of the season, is schedule analysis. I want to go, each week we're going to go through one month. This this week we're going to get uh, a couple months in here. February through April, um, because spring training is just kind of going to go right by. But going to go through month by month, looking at travel issues, how we do against each team, you know, on on the road, at home, uh, you know, mark out important days on the calendar, like returns from injuries and important days on the Boston calendar. Um, and because I just think that, you know, in other sports, you know, the schedule gets attention, but because in baseball, it's so long. Um, it just doesn't, and, and there are going to be scheduled losses, and and I might write about this, I'm not sure, it's still working on the research, but, you know, when in the NFL, 
when the Patriots have a game week one on the West Coast, and then week two we come back and have a game in Foxborough, and then week three we go back out to the West Coast, that third that third game, I mean, for the Patriots, they often win it because they're the Patriots, but for a regular team in the NFL, when you go coast to coast to coast that third week, that's pretty much a scheduled loss. And, you know, they try to avoid them in the NFL schedule because they're only 16 games, and, and the, the, you know, the bulk of the se- each game is a significant portion of the season, but you know in in basketball it's like a classic thing. Second game of a back to back, when you go to Denver to play, play the Nuggets in the NBA, there's a loss. Don't even bother trying. You're gonna lose, you know, because of the altitude and because you're tired. And I think the Red Sox in all baseball teams are have that kind of situation. So I'm gonna do some research into this, uh, but we're gonna talk about that kind of stuff too. Important new rules uh, in the MLB about travel and scheduling. Uh, spring training was cut by two days this year uh, due to new rules in the CBA. Uh, players complained in recent years about just like they don't need this. By the, by the middle of week four, they're just like I'm done. I, I, I just let's just play meaningful games. They're they're done with these half games, split squads. They they're done with that narshkite. Uh, if you don't know what narshkite is, it, it means exactly what it sounds. It means garbage. Um, Shout out Yiddish. Uh, and so there are two days uh, less uh, in spring training. And then during the regular season, very interesting, and this will play into our conversation about scheduled losses. Latest start time on a travel day is moved back to 7 p.m. minus, this is a lot of math, so bear with me, flight time divided by 2.5. So if the Red Sox have a game at home and then they have a game the next night in Houston, right, uh, the latest start time is 5:12 in Boston because um, the flight to Houston uh, is about four and a half hours. Divide that by two uh, and subtract that from seven o'clock, and you get 5:12. So the way it would work is with the last game of the series at home, we would start the game at seven, finish at around 10, 10:30. They'd be on the plane by 11. No, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. By 12, 12:30, get to Houston, and the the latest. Oh, I got that backwards. So sorry. Okay, my bad. The game in Houston starts at 7, and the Red Sox game in Bo- in Boston will start at 5, so that'll be over by 8, 8.15, 8.30, uh, and then they can get on a plane by 10 o'clock and get into Houston uh, you know, by, by a reasonable hour. And the, the important thing is that they're trying, the MLB is trying to uh, mitigate the effects of these ske- of of travel um, and potentially you know cut back on the scheduled losses. I still think though there are scheduled losses to be had, and that's going to be part of our conversation. All right, February, March, April. That's today's preview. We've got uh, no players expected to come back from injuries during these three months, other than those who have been like kind of ready uh, since some point in the off season. Uh, we're looking at the Thornburgs, um, and we're looking at the prices you know back from uh, injuries. Uh, fully recovered. Uh, we only actually have three guys in the DL uh, with Eduardo Rodriguez, um, Dustin Pedroia, and, and one other guy in the back of the bullpen who I'm forgetting. I'm sorry uh, for him, to him for forgetting him. Uh, and obviously, uh, still, we can expect Stephen Wright uh, to miss a few games uh, due to his domestic violence issues. Um, at the beginning of the season, um, if you haven't heard me last week discuss that issue uh, at length, uh, go back to last week because you know we gave that the attention last week, and you know now we're from here on out we're just going to address it as purely a baseball thing. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> now spring training truck day was uh, two days ago on the fifth on Monday, February fifth. Um, interesting thing I I saw they had like six hundred. 
uh, enormous packets of seeds, sunflower seeds for spring training. That's just awesome. They brought that uh, very funny article on RedSox.com about the the amount of supplies and, and things that they brought down to Florida. Uh, I don't know if if you're a baseball geek like me, it's just fun to see that you know we're getting prepped and and. Uh, you know, the, the, the baseball is on the horizon. Actually, uh, side note, yesterday at work, I, you know, I just, or I guess it was on Monday, I was just so disappointed by the Patriots, and I was just, like, ready, ready for baseball season. I go to ESPN3 um, to, to pull something up because I, um, because I wanted to watch some sports during my lunch break, and, and I saw that there's the Texas, University of Texas alumni baseball game, and I was just like, you know what, to hell. I want baseball so bad, so I watch this. Literally, this is such this is a cool game. You know, they have basically guys on the team right now playing against players uh, who used to be on the team in their minor league uniforms, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, and it's such a joke that they had a guy in cowboy boots and a pullover, a Texas pullover, come up, uh, an alumnus, uh, getting at bat, and it was just fun, even though it was meaningless. I just, I'm really excited about baseball, and if you're also really excited about baseball, Truck Day was probably a big day for you. Pitchers and catchers report next week, a week from today, on the 14th. Uh, see the new rules about that, right? So last year would have been on the 12th, but pushed up by two days. Uh, first full squad workout will be uh, the week after on the 19th. Uh, the first games, that college doubleheader is going to be on the 22nd. Always an exciting day for Boston. Uh, and we can expect guys to be hitting their stride by mid-March. So I, I kind of picked out the weekend of March 16th to 18th. I imagine by then guys will be hitting, you know, 75, 80 at bats, you know, Usually, guys say that they'll be ready about 100 at bats into spring training, uh, and you know by then they'll basically you know have their timing down. They're they're used to the back into the swing of things, um, and even if you know the travel schedule is much lighter and the games are not as uh, high pressure, there's no real leverage. Uh, I think by then we can expect to see guys kind of you know hitting max effort when they're on the field, and and that'll be exciting. So. Now, on to the regular season because that's the exciting part. So, uh, regular season starts early, excuse me, this year. Uh, March 29th is opening day. And, of course, it's uh, the first night of Passover, and I'll be in Israel trying to figure out that podcast situation. Maybe I'll get it to from overseas. Maybe not. Maybe I'll pre-record. I I, I don't know how we're going to do this. Maybe maybe we'll live stream it via Periscope. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but in the meantime, of course, it's Passover. Of course, I'll be out of the country. Um, but, you know, who cares because it's opening day. Four games in Tampa Bay. I really need to get that water. I need to get rid of this cold. It's been with me since two episodes ago. We've had just one season uh, where we were under 500 against uh, at Tampa Bay since 2012. Um, and... Like we need to do better than last year. We were five and four in Tampa last year, and we need we we just Tampa Bay is no good, especially now that they traded Longoria. Like we we should be doing six and three even in Tampa Bay, even in St. Pete. We should be taking two out of every three games from them and just banking that right. That 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 is guaranteed money for our quest to defend the AL East championship. Um, after Tampa Bay, no travel day, no worries. We're going March second. Uh, I'm sorry, April second and third. We're going down to South Florida to the worst team in baseball. I don't, I don't even hesitate to say that to to the Marlins. No travel days, no worries. It's an hour flight. We didn't play them last year, but they suck. Uh, I, I want to say that emphatically. Derek Jeter sucks, 
uh, as as uh, a front office guy. He's stupid about what he does. He's bad for baseball. I I say that as you know. I, I always had respect for him as a player, even though I hated him as a Yankee. But now, like this is good. This is a you know one way to counterbalance the the good things he did in baseball and, and allow me to hate him, which I like. He's no good. The Marlins are no good. We should go two and zero. If we don't, I'll be furious. Then, first homestand versus the division. we got the Rays, Yanks, and O's coming to town. A home opener against the Rays. Very interesting. Eight, uh, six, I'm sorry, seven games against the Rays in our first nine. Uh, April 5th through 8th. We were 6-4 and four against the Rays at home last year. Not bad. Um, and, and speaking of which, I want to give out to shout out to mcubed.net. I don't know how they want to how do, how they want to get that pronounced, but they have all this esoteric data from like the past like long time about uh, each team versus every other team in each stadium. So you know this is that's where I'm getting my well. We were six and four against the Rays at home in the summer of '97 on rainy days, right? That's where I'm getting all those weird nerdy stats from. Uh, so shout out to mcubed.net. Um, if someone from that website is listening, let me know uh, how to how to um, pronounce your website. That's BosoxCrazyPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, travel day before the um, before the series at home against the Rays, uh, and an off day on Friday in the middle, so that's nice. Um, again, no Longoria. would be nice to get three out of four our, our first weekend at home. Uh, then, first big series of the year, we have the Yankees uh, in town, April 10th through 12th. Begins at... <laughs> this is not so but so. Uh, the Yankees series starts a streak of 13 straight games without a day off, which is crazy to me. That's that's basically two weeks straight. Um, but as we'll see later, apparently that's not such not so uncommon, which is just wild. Uh, four and five at home against the Yankees last year, absolutely unacceptable. We must assert our dominance, especially in this series. This is an important series. Everyone's going to be saying things like, "Oh, the Yankees are so good. You know, they're the favorites in the ALEs." Screw that. We are going to assert our dominance. We are going to mark our territory and piss all over them, uh, metaphorically with our pitching, hitting, and relieving. Uh, and we are going to crush them, crush their souls, uh, and start off the season on the right note. Hopefully, we can take two out of three in that series, maybe even sweep. That would be really important for us. Orioles ending our uh, homestand. Four games. Orioles, April 13th through 16th. Coming off the first Yankees series, I expect a bit of a lull. We won't have any off days. Um, unless we sweep the Yankees, in which case we might be on, like, riding a high, but I, I you know, first off, I don't ex- ever expect a sweep, but also, like, I just think that um, without an off day, um, you know, and coming off an emotional high, you know, obviously we're going to be Sunday night baseball against the Yankees because that's just how things work. Um, you know, two losses out of the four against the Orioles, if we split, wouldn't shock me. Uh, it would disappoint, but it wouldn't shock me. Uh, we were three and six at home versus the Orioles last year. Again, not acceptable. Um, for some bizarre reason, we've struggled against the Orioles since 2009. I, I Anecdotally, I always, I, I always knew this, um, but growing up, you know, especially someone who grew up in Maryland, um, you know, I loved, we were just able for years and years, we were banking uh, wins against the Orioles. So I, I look back, um, from 2001 to 2011, we were above 500 against the O's in 9 out of 11 seasons. We had seasons of 16-2 and two against the Orioles, 12-6, and 12-6, and 15-3, and 13-6. That is what I expect against the Orioles. They're a no good baseball team. And for some reason, since 2009, we've struggled against them. They've had our number. They're throwing out guys like Wade Miley, Nubaldo, Hunvanez. We should be averaging seven runs a game against the Orioles, period. They don't throw Zach Britton uh, in the high leverage situations. They think that um, Michael Givens, who spells his name wrong, uh, is their best player. And that's just dumb. Uh, we should be taking two out of three from the Orioles, too. They're bad. 
Patriots Day on Monday the 16th, 11.05 start day. I always like the Patriots Day jerseys, should win. Uh, and it's nice that uh, we have that 11.05 start day because, uh, nice little transition here, getting better at the podcast game. Interrupting myself obviously ruins the transition, but it, it, it was a nice try. Uh, 11.05 start date is nice because we uh, have no off day and travel to the West Coast for a quick six against the Angels and Athletics. Angels for... Uh, uh, Excuse me. April 17th through 19th, no chance, literally no chance we win that first game after uh, seven straight games against the O's and Yanks and the Patriots Day game and the, uh, the marathon happening, no chance. And, and then obviously the five-hour flight out to uh, Anaheim, no chance, no travel day, eighth game in eight days. Um, so I just don't expect to win there. Uh, we did not play the Angels well last year. Um, we were one and two there. Um, if we do better than one and two, I'll be surprised just because of the travel business and, and the fact that we don't have any off days. But I will say, as just a pure baseball fan, I am so excited for this series because I am so hyped to see uh, the combination Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. I, I mean, I don't know how they're going to be using Otani, but it's it's exciting. Really, really exciting to see him. Uh, and so, you know, definitely tune in uh, to those games to see, you know, the most exciting new player in, in the game. Uh, going down... Uh, to the Bay for three games, uh, April 20th through 22nd. Um, we were one and three in the Coliseum last year. Hit them well. Uh, five runs a game uh, in the seven games against the A's. I expect us to win. They're not such a great team. Though I will say, Matt Olson is going to bang a bong off of us. And, and I shouldn't be excited, but I am just because like, I have a feeling he's going to destroy something. Like I don't, I don't know like off of who, but can't you just imagine like we come in, it's like we're up to maybe like I don't know, 5-3, it's the, um, it's, uh, bottom of the seventh, and, you know, Matt Barnes is in, he's coming in, and he just throws a straight fastball, and Matt Olson does one thing right, he does one thing real good, he hit 24 homers in, like, 60 games last year, uh, and in case you didn't hear, that's basically a homer every two games, and he, and he just mashes taters, so, like, I don't know. There's not much to get excited about when you're going to the Oakland Coliseum. Not exactly a good stadium, not exactly a good team, but it should be interesting to see, you know, Kairos Davis and Matt Olson. They hit bongs. Good for them. Uh, come home, uh, back to the East Coast, three games in Toronto, and then a homestand to start another 13-13 and uh, to lead us into May with the Jays, Rays, and Royals. Blue Jays in Toronto, uh, April 24th through 26th. Off day on Monday to travel. No more uh, off days between... Um, the 24th and May 7th, which is just nuts. I, again, like I, it's really shocking, and that's why I want to do more research about this, that twice, basically one and a half times every month, we have 13 games straight without a day off. Um, crazy, we were 8-1 and one in Toronto last year. I accept. I don't, don't change anything. Do that again. Uh, really, and it, and it wasn't just last year. We're 45-29 and 29, uh, in Toronto in the 2010s. Uh, that's a 60... Point eight percent win percentage. Uh, not much to say there. Let's just let's just keep doing that. I mean, they're old. You know, Donaldson's still good. They have interesting pitchers. You know, Stroman's good. Uh, Sanchez, interesting. Obviously, Osuna's a very good closer. But hey, you know, we we should beat them, and we did last year. Uh, we come home then for the Rays, uh, April twenty seventh through 29th and then the Royals. Um, April 30th into May. Uh, no rest, no matter. We beat Rays at home. Dumb garbage team. Not much to say. Uh, and we'll preview the Royals next week with our May preview. That takes us together. Let's let's wrap up the month of April, the months of April, March, and February. 19 games in the first month of the season versus ALE's team. 13 at home. Must convert. That is a strong 
place for us to start. We if we come out of April and we're looking like a 500 team, that's a disaster. If we're you know two three games over uh, 500, disaster. We need to be five games over 500, if not better, at the end of April because we have all these games at home against the AL East. Must convert. We weren't even again. We weren't even the best. Uh, team in our division last year, if we have won any chance of defending our AL East uh, title, we need to do well against uh, the other teams. Uh, so, before uh, we wrap up, the last uh, takeaway, these 13-game uh, streaks without any off days shouldn't surprise us. Again, I'm going to do more research about what they mean for a team, what these travel days mean for a team, but I just looked at, you know, from opening day, March 29th, to the last day of the season, September 31st, um, that's 185 days, and we have 162 games in there, which means that, by definition, we only have 23 off days uh, in six months, which averages out to less than four a month, uh, which means that you're going to have these long streaks. Uh, scheduled losses, therefore, will happen. More research on that to come. Very exciting. So, to recap, shout out to Mookie uh, and Fernando Abad for Arb and Ard successes. Uh, I think I'm very clever. Uh, more research to come on lefty relievers and scheduled losses. Uh, uh, next episode, we'll look at May's schedule and the above-average tier on our roster. That should be a, a little bit bigger. Um, look for some surprises in that tier. Uh, I think you know some of the uh, uh, fan perspectives on some of our players are, do not match up with reality, and they're and we have better. Let's not forget we were a 93-win team last year. We made it to the playoffs. Uh, you know we're the division division champs last year. We have a good team, and, we're, and because of that, you know, or or I guess the reason that is is because we have a lot of above-average guys. Um, and uh, that's that's it. So I'm Tyler Levitt signing out for the Bo Sox Crazy Podcast, regular Red Sox podcast for crazy Red Sox fans. Uh, until next week, signing off.